Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So Psalm 118, 1 to 18. Uh, I'm just going to break this down into four parts. Uh, there's a lot here. We can't possibly cover it all in depth. But there are four things that really struck me this week as I read through, and we also shared this with some uh, 5Q discipleship groups, and I was blessed by the insights of the people who were there. The first thing is this. This God of ours is the God of mercy. Now, your translation might read differently than mine. The word is hesed, all right? So say that with me, hesed. Okay. And hesed is a very important word in the Old Testament because it means love. But it means so much more than love. And that's why there's so many translations. You need about 11 to 12 English words to describe this because it's just a lot more than our idea of love. It means love. It means unfailing love. It means obstinate love. It means mercy. It means kindness. Uh, it, It means reliable. It means dependable. All kinds of things that are important to this understanding. It means faithful. My translation decides we're going to use all of them, which confuses me because I'm looking down thinking, I don't know if this is hesed or not because it's using a different word than mercy. Mercy, obstinate, forever, faithful, unfailing in his love, loving kindness. There's so many words. But that's how rich this word is. It's so rich, it can't be encapsulated by one English word. And so we use several. And your translations will use several. But give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his hesed is everlasting. His mercy is what my translation reads. And I'm just going to say, if you're delivered from Egypt, or if you're delivered from the cross, if you think you're going to be delivered from Egypt, if you think you're going to be delivered from hanging on a cross, it's best to know going into those experiences that this God of yours is a God of mercy. And some of you are feeling like you're living in a virtual hell right now. And you need to be reminded your God is a God of hesed mercy, hesed love, obstinate love. He is dependable. He can be counted on. And you're thinking, I don't know if that's so true. Because again, that hell thing, I feel like I'm in it. That's okay. He's going to bring you through it. You've just got to say, he is my merciful God, and I fully intend that his mercy show through my life. A guy named Rodney Stark, he is a, uh, last time I knew where he was, he was at Baylor. And uh, he's written many important books, but the one that really resonated the most most in his career was the book called The Rise of Christianity. And in that book, he says, how does this Jesus faith spread so rapidly across the Roman Empire, where in about short of 300 years, the emperor is bowing down to Jesus? How'd that happen? And so he talked about how it happened. And one of the things, probably the thing that mattered the most was this whole thing of mercy. So I had him on my radio show, and I said, listen. Talk to me about this mercy that we saw in your book, The Rise of Christianity. And he says, well, when people came, Matt, when people came to Christianity, when they were converts, their brains need to be rewired. If they had been raised as Gentiles in the Greco-Roman world, their brains had to be rewired. I say, well, talk to me about that. What's that mean? He said, well, theology mattered. 
He, theology played a huge role. They had to learn that God had commanded them to love one another. And the reason he commanded them to love one another, because he was love. And they needed, by extension, to live out that love in other people's lives. And that was the essence of Christianity, love. He is a God of love. Now, what you say, well, what's that mean, rewired? Why is that such a strange thought? Because they didn't believe that in the Greco-Roman world. They didn't believe that the gods were gods of mercy, that the gods were gods of kindness, that the gods were gods of love. They didn't believe it for a minute. In fact, Aristotle and others like him, when they heard something like, for God so loved the world, it absolutely puzzled them. They had no idea. What are you talking about? God loves the world. Uh, love is a pathological defect. It, it's not something gods would have. Now, you all know these Greek myths, right? We've learned them in school. So when the Greeks looked out at the world and tried to explain the world as to why this situation or that situation or this was like it was, they made up stories. And their stories, if you'll notice, the gods didn't love. They were just trying to get their way. They were very manipulative. And they could be manipulated. But love had nothing to do with the Greco-Roman stories. Now all of a sudden, here comes a story into the Greco-Roman world. And the story was a God who loved us so much that he hung on a Roman gibbet. He hung on a cross that we might know that love. Oh, wow. And they had a tough time conceiving that. So when a convert came, they had to be rewired to think this God is not a God of manipulation. This is a God of love. He loves us so much. And then we taught them, because he loves us so much, guess what? He wants to love other people through us. And that became the essence of the gospel understanding. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And now he asks us to do the same. Give everything you've got, including your family, to this whole thing we call the Great Commission. I... Uh, I said, well, they, they didn't understand it. I'm glad we understand it today. I don't think we do understand it today. <laughs> For instance, if you're, if you're not in Christianity, I think if you're a contemporary Christian, if you're evangelical, you get the theology of it if you don't get the practice. You understand, yeah, for God so loved the world. I know that. Everybody knows John 3.16. Uh, and I've told this to you before, but sometimes it just fits. I remember the great actor Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, he was in a movie called Revenant. And it tells a story of a guy named Hugh Glass. Now, Hugh Glass was a trapper that was attacked and severely wounded by a grizzly bear. And uh, his friends left him for dead and then murdered his son right before his eyes. He could see it happening. They're murdering my kid and they're leaving me for dead. And so they left. And so there's the dead son. There's Hugh Glass. So in the movie, Hugh Glass emerges from his grave and walks 80 miles to hunt down and kill the men who betrayed him. Oh, that's a good story. I think I told you my spiritual gifts are teaching and holding a grudge. I mean, I mean this whole thing of let's go get them. That just feels good to us, doesn't it? They're going to get theirs. Let's go get them. That's a good Hollywood story. Unfortunately, that's not how the Hugh Glass was a real person. Hugh Glass had a real story. That's not the story. 
that's how Hollywood would want to tell it, because they knew that when someone saw that, they'd pay to see that, they probably wouldn't pay to see the other thing. And this is the other thing. Hugh Glass, indeed, gets injured. They kill his son. He walks 80 miles, you're not even going to believe this, and forgives his betrayers. <laughs> he forgave them. And Hollywood's looking at that story saying, nah, ain't nobody going to pay eight bucks, nine bucks, ten bucks. I don't even know what they charge these days to see that. Someone's got to die here. And there you go. They couldn't understand a God of mercy today any more than we could back then with the Greek philosophers. But y'all, that's the dynamic here. Is even today, if they can't show us that on a cinematic stream, one who exudes mercy, because it would never sell tickets like the vengeful Leonardo DiCaprio would, then guess what? They're not going to sell you that story. They're going to tell it a whole nother way. Y'all, we need to get a hold of this mercy thing. And praise God. Who here does? Anybody here praise God for his mercy? Anybody here like me lived a life where you know you didn't deserve it? And he gave it to you anyway. Oh my goodness. I praise God for a God of hesed love. So number two, here's this. The tight places of the enemy. It says here, from my distress. And that word distress means distress or it means Tight place, or it means pain. From my distress, from my pain, from my tight place, I called upon Yahweh. And Yahweh, the Lord, answered me and put me into an open space. You've heard me talk about this before as well. But I always think about this. When I think about this, I don't think about Kansas football because the, the defensive line always stops our running backs right there at the, at the line. I mean, that's it. I do think of the Chicago Bears back in the day when they went to the Super Bowl. And I do think about my favorite running back, a JSU graduate named Walter Payton. And I mean, through his college career, on up into the pros, if there was that much of a hole, he could find it, squeeze through it, and get out there into the open space. And I don't know if anybody's here a football fan or not. I'm not that big a one, but I was back then. And there was nothing prettier to me than sweetness. They called him sweetness. Than sweetness in the open field. He's running free now. He's running for a touchdown now. Ooh, it was pretty. It was sweet. So here's a tight place, but he brings us out into the open field so that we can run for victory. Now, this is what's most interesting to me. Jesus is singing this, remember? Him and his disciples, by the way, what they had was a U-shaped table. We think we know, I'll tell you this another time. We think we know where at least four of them were sitting, just from the text. They're all, the table's about this high. You're down there, and there's pillows all around. You get to choose a pillow, and, and uh, you're propping yourself up on your left arm, your left elbow, and you're eating with your right. You're dipping things, and we think we know where Judas was sitting, you know, right behind Jesus, because they were dipping together. We think we know where John was sitting right here because it says he leaned into the breast of Jesus. It's like a big brother. John was a youth and almost a boy, says one of the early church fathers. So he's leaning into the breast saying, boy, I think he's scared. What's happening here? What's going on? He leans into the breast of Jesus. Just he leaned back into Jesus. So 
that's three. I'm gonna, I'll tell you about the other one some other day. But this whole thing of there they're at in this table and they're singing these songs. And imagine Jesus singing this with his disciples. Lord, I'm in distress. And we called upon you and you put us into the open space of this fellowship. These friends, these 12 disciples who I love so much. This is the open space that you created for me, my dear disciples. But then he sings verse 6. I don't know. Let me try it. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Are you kidding me? What can man do to you? Hey, y'all, anybody have a testimony what man can do to you? Some of you have been molested. Some of you have been lied to. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been abused. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Woo! Now think about this. Jesus probably has some inkling about what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. The Lord is for me. What can man do to me? Well, actually, they can betray you. And one of you here is going to do that. They can deny you. Your lead man can deny you. They can spit on you. They can whip you. They can throw you in prison. They can mock you. They can spit on you. They can put spikes in your hands and in your feet. Then they can laugh at you while you suffocate and die. That's what they can do to you. Then they can throw you in a tomb and smugly think, that ought to take care of that. I don't know. I'm just thinking right now. Can you picture the face of Jesus looking up and saying, yeah, then what? Because they can't take away your relationship with God. And as long as you've got that, you've got everything. They can rape you. They can molest you. They can abuse you. They can do all kinds of horrific things to you, but they can't deal with your soul. That belongs to you and it belongs to God. And you've given it over to God for safekeeping. Oh my goodness, y'all. What can man do to me if they can't? Listen, we play the long game here. We play the long game. If you're Jesus with the disciples and all the rest of Israel, and you're seeing this little Egyptian Hallel, you're playing the long game. The Egyptian deliverance happened 1,400 years ago if you're Jesus with your disciples at that point. And guess what? You can sing this song knowing 1,400 years ago he did it, and he's still doing it today. He's still delivering today. He's still saving today. He's still doing all the things talked about in 113 and 118. He's still doing all these things today. And yeah, we can be abused. We've always been abused. They abused us in Egypt. They abused us when we got to the promised land. They've always abused us. And guess what? We're playing the long game. And the long game is we belong to him. And he belongs to us. What indeed can man do to us? God is our helper. (laughs) And no matter what happens, we're going to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and strength. Even if the devil hates our guts. I love what Matt's been teaching us on Wednesday. Even devil hates our guts is like a mouse playing with an elephant. 
Elephant can be scared of that mouse, but he shouldn't be. Flick him off, stomp on him. Nah, I'm sorry. We got mice people here today. So, number three is this. Surrounded. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in noblemen. All nations surrounded me. Say that word surrounded. In the name of the Lord, I will certainly fend them off or cut them off. They surrounded me. Say the word surrounded. Yes, they again. Say it again. In the name of the Lord, I will certainly cut them off, fend them off. They surrounded me like bees. Now I'm starting to get scared. I get the bee thing. All of a sudden, it's been kind of theoretical. Now we got bees. Woo! I'm flapping away. I'm trying to get out of here. They were extinguished like a fire of thorn bushes. In the name of the Lord, I'll cut them off. Now, y'all, for Israel's entire history, they were surrounded. And by the way, still are. Jesus was surrounded in these moments. Everybody around him, save his disciples, wants him dead. And I'll go ahead and say it today. Y'all, you are surrounded today. Just say it. I'm surrounded. We are all surrounded today. There is a world that doesn't like us. They don't like what we do. They don't like our ways. There is a Hollywood that despises what we believe. There's so many in the government that just absolutely look at what we're trying to do in the world and they hate it. We are surrounded. In fact, this year I've been asked to give the uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary graduation address. I think I'm going with this. You know what I'm going to tell them? You're surrounded! No, don't think, I'm just imagining things. I think I'm surrounded. No, you you don't have to imagine it. You are surrounded. But there's a greater surrounding. This word keeps showing up in the Psalms over and over and over. Surrounded, surrounded, surrounded. About a third of them, about two-thirds of them are, we're surrounded by the enemy. We're done for. We're surrounded. But a third of them, I'm surrounded by a steadfast love. I'm surrounded by God. I'm surrounded by His people. Hey, y'all, you're surrounded. I need for you to know this today. You are surrounded by the enemy. But you have a greater surrounding There's a greater surrounding. You are surrounded by God. You are surrounded by His angels. You are surrounded by His people. You have resources that you need to take advantage of. You've got to decide, what's the greater surrounding of my life? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Is it the power of the Holy Spirit? All right, so you're saying, hey, what's he up here for? So I asked Austin to come up, and uh, I called him up last night. That's, That's how we roll. And I said, hey, listen, do you know this song? He said, yeah, I think I do. I said, I got the chord chart, so let me send them to you. And I'd like for you just to sing this song. You may have heard this. I love this. This is how I fight my battles. You know this song? You don't know it? Michael W. Smith. So do the, do a, do the Austin Broom rendition, will you, of the Michael W. Smith song. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It 
may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Good. Praise the Lord. Amen. So you need to know the enemy does in fact surround you today. Amen? The enemy worldview surrounds you today. Amen? But you've got a greater surrounding. He, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit surrounds you today. You've got to make the decision, what surrounding am I going to tap into for my hope? Because you have hope in the surrounding of God Almighty. And Israel... For 1,400 years, up to the time of Jesus, reminded themselves several times, but certainly one major time at Passover meal, for 1,400 years, they thought in terms of, oh my goodness, we need to be reminded, we're surrounded. (laughs) And we're surrounded. This is how we fight our battles. The fourth thing is this, very briefly. In the last few verses that we are going to cover today, and again, Bill Durr is going to cover the rest on a Friday. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Amen. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord performs valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord performs valiantly. I will not die, but I'm going to live until the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not turned me over to death. You're thinking, wait a minute, not turned you over to death? Jesus dies. Now, remember, we're reading this with the long view, right? No, I got to go through the death to get the resurrection. I got to go through the pain to get to the resurrection. I've got to go through the whipping and the betrayal and the denial. I've got to go through a long night in the house of Caiaphas in order to get to the resurrection. This is how I'm going to fight my battle. The Father surrounds me even as I see the world surrounding me, but the Father is going to help me through this ordeal. I believe he believed it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let me just say, it's painful out there. It's hard out there. There's addictions out there. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to bleed. And you may die. 
But the Lord is not going to let you stay dead. I like Isaiah 53. It says, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And we had one of the great articulators of the prophet Isaiah with us when we were in our other building uh, before we got here. And his name was John Oswald. And he, he, he talked about this passage. The arm of the Lord has been revealed. And he's like, all right, let's talk about the arm of the Lord. And in Isaiah 53, what you find out is, whoa, that's not what I expected. I thought the arm of the Lord would show up with an army and kick tail. And you're telling me, no, he gets abused. He's not good looking. And he's going to be murdered. I'm not so sure I want that out of my Savior, out of my Lord. And so this is what John does. Takes off his coat, and I'm not going to do that for you today. But he had a long sleeve shirt on. He says, let's talk about the arm of the Lord. And he rolls up his, uh, his sleeve. He puts his arm up and says, my arm looks a lot like Barney Fife's. It doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's. And everyone assumed that when the Lord showed up, he'd show up like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he doesn't. He has the arm of Barney Fife. One, one stupid bullet. <laughs> and y'all, you just need to know, he's a surprising God. There's some things we know for sure in Scripture, and there's some things we flat don't. But I know this, he is your helper. If you trust in him, no matter your pain, if you trust him, no matter the darkness, if you trust in him, no matter the confusion and the craziness in your life, well, you're surrounded. And that's a good thing. I saw this. I don't know why. It doesn't even really fit, but I thought I'd share it with you anyway. Because some of you, I don't doubt that some of you in what was known by some in Christian history as the dark night of the soul. Where you know theologically that God is there. But my goodness, you just can't feel it. And I think Jesus had a moment on the cross where he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think he's fully convinced I'm surrounded by Father, but emotionally and painfully, I believe this happened right around the Jackson Airport. Um, and I read this in a biography, and then I was reminded last night when I saw it someplace else. There's a man named Slim Cornets, and Slim. A man was showing Slim around a county airport in rural Mississippi. I think it's like, you know, 30 miles away from here. He was showing him around and kind of showing off. He says, this switch here lights up the runway. And he flipped it. All of a sudden, the one runway lit up. He says, and then let's say, oh, I don't know. Let's say there's a plane in distress up there. You just throw this switch and turn on the searchlights. And he threw it on. And the minute he did that, they looked up and they were stunned. There's an airplane up there. And it comes down and without permission, lands on the runway. So they rushed out to say, what, what crazed maniac would do that kind of thing? They went out there and there's a guy named Franklin Graham that stepped out of the airplane. Billy Graham's son. And this is what happened. The pilot had been flying Franklin back to school in Texas. And all of a sudden, 
the electrical system shut down in his plane. So he didn't have anything. He didn't have lights. He didn't have radio. He didn't have any means of guidance. And they had no idea what's down there. It was a very dark night. No moon out there. Very dark night. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't see where they might even maybe could land. And all of a sudden, wham! <laughs> there's an airport. Wham! There goes the searchlights. And down we landed. Franklin Graham will write about it in his autobiography saying, listen, craziest thing that ever happened to me. We were done for. And all of a sudden, light. Anybody here feel done for? I'm going to tell you the light's there. Anybody here in pain and in confusion and in craziness? You're surrounded by the love of God. You need to know hope is right there. It might not feel like it right now. It might not feel like it for the next month or two or three. But you need to know we play the long game. We play Psalm 118. And your best days are yet to come. Amen? Anybody here? Let's just go ahead and bow our heads. Anybody here right now need the prayer? Because you are in distress right now. And you'd like the pastor to pray for you right now. I'd like to like to stand up right where you're at. Just be bold enough to stand up. All you're saying is, I need prayer. I'd like to have your prayers, Pastor, because I'm in distress. I see it. Good. Anybody else? Good. Anybody else? I'm in distress. I'm in a dark place. I'm in confusion. I've got an addiction. I need help. I need Jesus to come to my... I know He surrounds me theologically, but I want to know it practically. I'd like to know it soon. Jesus, you see these people right now standing up. And they're crying out in desperation saying, I am a woman today. I am a man today that's in distress. I'm in a tight place. I'm in pain. And I need your help. Father, Son, Spirit, I need your help. So help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. I need for you to come and be my helper. To be my strength. To be my song to be my salvation. I need a strong right hand. I need someone to discipline me to get me back to where I want to be, to where I belong. Jesus, these people standing right now need you. Could you come to the rescue? They prayed this Egyptian Hallel over and over again to shout out to God, we need your deliverance. We need your salvation. We need a Messiah. We need a Savior. Not only for our souls, but in the predicaments we find ourselves in this week, we need a Savior. Jesus, could you come and save? Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thanks so very much. Love you.